Good morning. Welcome to New Passion. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so great to be able to worship with you all and be with you. Um, for those maybe joining us even online, we're so grateful for our friend Ben at 52 Creative for getting us back up online. Um, he saw my post last night where we had uh, an equipment failure, and he uh, showed up this morning to help get us back online. So we're grateful for that. Um, leading a church, having a church, uh, there's always something that goes wrong. So we're grateful to God we get to be here. We know we don't need the technology, um, but we're grateful for it. We're grateful for the gift that God has given us. We're in this series, um, Unhindered, through the book of Philippians. Today we begin chapter 3. We'll be in uh, Philippians chapter 3, um, all the way through uh, chapter 1, uh, I mean, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, if you've missed any of this series or if you're a guest with us and you're kind of just starting new with us in this, um, I would welcome you to go online to our website, newpassionchurch.com, where you can uh, go back and kind of catch up and um, see how we got to Philippians chapter 3 um, today. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your YouVersion Bible app, I'm in the CSB, so you can follow along word for word. It'll be on the screen as well as in the outlines that we provide you as well. So he says this because he's continuing a conversation um, through a letter that he has written to the church at Philippi. So that's why he says, as he starts this off, in addition. So he's saying in addition because he's given a lot of information in two chapters before this. And so once again, if you need to go back and get caught up on that or just read through those chapters, you'll see what he's referring to. But he says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So I want to stop there and I want to give you the first kind of overlying thing that we're going to see today. And it's this. The gospel is a shift from do to done. The gospel is a shift from do to to done. In the midst of persecution that the church was facing and in the per face of um, the different suffering that they were experiencing, and we know that Paul was uh, experiencing this as well as he writes this letter, he's in prison himself. Paul tells the church in the face of this persecution to rejoice in the Lord. Now, this isn't just flippant uh, religious talk. This isn't just a spiritual cliche that we can oftentimes get wrapped up in. Um, we, we become so familiar with Christian terminology and certain things, we can just say them and really lose the meaning behind them. That's not happening here. Um, though he says rejoice in the Lord, it's not become so commonplace that it just is a throwaway kind of statement in this moment. And so there's purpose behind why he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord. It's because they are in Christ that they can and should rejoice. So when he says rejoice in the Lord, what he is actually saying, he's being literal in the sense to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in that relationship, rejoice in that placement that they have in the Lord. To be in Christ means we've been brought into union with him, that we share in a relationship in him. Our new identity as followers of Jesus is in Christ. In fact, in the book of Acts, they, they were called the followers of the way. Why were they followers of the way? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the only way to the Father. Um, then in mockery, they were referred to as Christians. So the terminology we use today is actually something that was given um, in mockery as, of 
of Christians, little Christs. And so that's actually a compliment for us. We should be like Christ. We should be in the image of Christ. And so that was their identity. So he's telling them to rejoice in that union, to rejoice in that relationship that they have in Christ. To be in Christ um, is that, that union, but also you'll see in Scripture where it says Christians are hidden in Christ. Jesus' sacrifice hides and protects those of us who belong to God through Jesus from God's wrath towards sin. The Bible tells us there will be, there will be a day that his wrath will be poured out on sin and on those who uh, partake in that. That's why we're protected. We're hidden in Christ for what he did on the cross. God's wrath towards sin was poured out on him as our sufficient sacrifice so that we can have life and we can have salvation. But those who choose not to follow Christ will face that wrath one day. But those of us who are in Christ are hidden in him. We are protected from that wrath. Christians can rejoice in every circumstance. This is essentially what Paul's telling them. You're, you're facing persecution. You're facing difficulties, but you can rejoice in that circumstance because of your union with Christ. And the same is true for us 2,000 years later. You can rejoice in your relationship, in your union, in your being hidden with Christ, no matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what difficulty it is that's in front of you, no matter the struggle, no matter the pain, you can rejoice in that because you are in Christ. It's his sacrifice that made that union possible. When we use the word gospel, it is his gospel, the good news of what he accomplished, not only in his life, his perfect life, but also what he accomplished in his death and what he accomplished in his resurrection that makes that union possible. Before Jesus, righteousness was for mankind to do the whole law. You were required to do the whole law. The Jews were required, not even Gentiles, because Gentiles weren't even chosen. They, they weren't even God's chosen people. The Jews were required. I'm sure if a Gentile wanted to be a part of um, God's people, they would have to follow the 613 Mosaic laws, the, the um, dietary laws, the, uh, the moral law, and all that made up all of those laws. You would have to do the whole law. But now, because of Christ, the gospel teaches us the God, that God's whole law is already done because of Jesus. That the work is already done. There, there is no law that you must uh, keep and obtain in order to earn and achieve salvation. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for your salvation. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He accomplished the work not you. He accomplished the law, not you, because you couldn't accomplish the law. That's why they had annual sacrifices where they had to travel and they had to take a sacrifice and they had to make a sacrifice for, the, um, for those sins to be covered for one more year. And it was a reminder of them for one more year that they're sinners and that they have to follow this law and that they have to make these animal sacrifices. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus' sacrifice, he says the father did not want uh, uh, animal sacrifices, but he gave him a body to sacrifice so that that would be good once for all time. The work is done. The requirements are done. And so we can rejoice. 
This truth alone should be the catalyst by which we rejoice. The fact that we are brought into union with Jesus because of Jesus, not because of ourselves, not because we're good enough, not because we're not bad enough, but because of what Christ accomplished, we can rejoice. And so it, 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 the, the circumstances that we face, in fact, the Bible tells us in Romans, Paul wrote and said that the momentary sufferings of this world, of this earth that we face, do not compare to the glory that we will experience in the presence of God for eternity because of this union. So when we gather together as a church, as we've been talking about um, over several weeks this year, about singing and worshiping and praising God, the catalyst for that, no matter how you feel, no matter how your week has been, is the fact that you belong to Christ. You are unified with him. You are hidden with him. The work has been done on your behalf because of him. And that should spur us on to worship him. During the week, when things are going bad, when it's Monday morning and you don't want to have to go to the office, when it's Friday and you just wish you still didn't have to go to the office, or whatever that situation might be, when the kids are going crazy, when the, the, that unexpected bill comes in, when the doctor says, hey, we may have to... Um, do some tests because there may be a, a poor health situation that you're facing. In all of that, because we live in a momentary world where all of this will one day pass away, we can rejoice because our eternity is secured in Christ. Our union is secured with Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 goes on and says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul could be talking about various different groups here, the Judaizers, um, groups like we see in Galatians, um, the whole uh, book uh, or letter to the church of Galatians were um, dealing with people like this. In Acts chapter 15, you see uh, a conversation happening, a really uh, actual sharp debate take place in the first part of chapter 15 about these issues. And it was the people who wanted um, and, and attempted to blend the law and grace. Those who tried to persuade Christians, those Christ followers, especially those who were young in the faith, and try to persuade them that they must follow the law and fulfill religious acts like circumcision in their day to be right with God. Now, that might look different in our day. That might look different where people um, want to add to what Jesus has already done to say, it's got to look this way, it's got to be this way, and they add to the finished work of Jesus, his resurrection, and say, you've got to fit within these parameters, you've got to do these certain things, or it had to be in this kind of church, it's got to be in this style, or whatever that might be, for that salvation to be genuine. So they were facing that in this moment. And this is what Galatians says, chapter one, verse six through eight, Paul, this is what he wrote to the church at Galatia. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. 
This is how serious Paul took this. You can write this down. God takes the gospel serious. It's not to be tampered with. God takes the gospel serious. It should not be tampered with. It is the message of the gospel that is the power unto salvation. Galatians, I mean, um, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us. It is this message. It is not to be tampered with. In fact, when I uh, went to start New Passion Church, I met with a local church who was looking to start a English uh, mission kind of church out of their church, send money and people and, and all of these things. When we started in Grovetown, um, I won't get into our whole story, but because of what we see in our modern day and what, how we have seen people water down the gospel and distort the gospel and uh, change the gospel, this pastor that I'm sitting um, across from, in a, from a large church, was a bit concerned about uh, supporting us because his comment was, he sees a lot of people my age, which I was, that was 13, a little over 13 years ago, so I was much younger than I am now today. I was, uh, I think, 28, um, and so, uh, but, or 28, 29, yeah, I have to do the math, um, but, but I'm sitting there, and his concern was, seeing so many young pastors and young ministry leaders watering down the gospel. And he doesn't know me. I'm there by reference of my pastor at the time. But also at that moment, both of his student pastors, he had a high school pastor and a middle school pastor for their student ministry. All I could tell him was, you can talk to these individuals. I don't play with the gospel. I don't, I don't play with the gospel. I don't water it down. I, uh, I, I preach it as it is because it is the power unto salvation. God does not play with messing with the gospel because it involves his son who he gave as a sacrifice for you and for me to live a perfect life, to put on flesh as we've talked about, to come to earth, to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to fulfill the whole law that you and I could not fulfill. He went to the cross. He died a murderer's death on the cross. He was beaten unrecognizable for you and for me. He was, he was murdered. He was buried and three days later rose to new life so you and I could be raised to new life in him as well. That we don't play with that. We don't tamper with that. We don't add to that. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus plus being a Democrat. It's not Jesus plus being a Republican. It's not Jesus plus giving up a certain sin. It's not Jesus plus fulfilling certain religious requirements like church attendance or giving a certain amount of money. It's not Jesus plus anything to equal salvation. It is Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus alone, faith in him alone that equals salvation. And then the outpouring of that relationship is our worship to him, our giving, our serving, our behavior, our acts, our religious acts. We don't do that to earn favor from God. We do that to worship God, to adore him, to express our love for him, not to earn it from him. It's already been given to us despite us. See, Paul called, called these people who peddled this false gospel dogs, mutilators of the flesh, and evil workers. He said, a curse 
should be on them. I love this because if I were to stand up here and if there was someone in here and I called them a dog or an evil worker or a mutilator of the flesh, I might get in trouble. But Paul can do it. (laughs) So if you're a spiritual leader, if you're a pastor who's distorting the gospel, who's adding to the gospel and adding a weight to people that was not added scripturally, then you're a dog. You're a mutilator of the flesh. Why did they call them mutilator of the flesh? Because they were telling them that they had to be circumcised. You're an evil worker, according to Paul. And a curse should be on you. That's how serious they take the gospel. Why? Because if you're here today, and maybe church is new to you, and you're feeling like you've got to achieve certain things, like I grew up, like, hey, if this is the bar to, to, to God, if this is the bar I've got to achieve for salvation, then what I saw a lot of people go and what I saw a lot of people do was to just um, abandon that because I can't do that. They tried and tried and tried and tried. And when they realized they could not reach that spiritual level of somebody else's expectations, not God's, but someone else's who said that I speak on behalf of God, then they just threw their hands up and they quit. And they walked away because they said, I can't do it. And they were right. They couldn't do it. But that was a weight put on them, not by God, but by man who said they spoke for God. And so that's why Paul says you're an evil worker. Why? Because you're distorting the very power under salvation and leading people astray. You're putting a weight on them that's not supposed to be there. I was talking to a friend of mine today who um, knows a lot of uh, people, and I'm not going to get in because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make another look, uh, group look bad because there's different levels of groups, but another uh, uh, religious group who uh, I believe many of them are followers of Jesus, but in their following, they add works to the gospel. And my friend was talking about, he knows a lot of them. He gets a lot of them in his church because he's in a small country town and there's a lot of this group in his town. And he said what he sees happen, because basically if they leave the church or if they're not doing everything according to the church, then they are basically kicked out. When they talk about being thrown out of the church or cast out, uh, given over to Satan, then they truly believe these people are, have lost their salvation and are going to hell because they are not fulfilling the checklist of their religious group. And so he is able to minister to a lot of them. But what he said is he will see them. They go crazy in a sense because, well, if I'm already going to hell and I've, I've lost that achievement, then I might as well just kind of, what, what have I got to lose? I might as well live it up. And that's really the mentality. That's what I saw growing up in the legalism. If, if that's the bar and I've tried and tried and tried to reach that bar and I can't do it on my own, then why even try? I'm, if I'm going to hell according to these pastors or spiritual leaders, then I might as well just live it up. And it makes sense. But see, that's not the weight put on us by Jesus. The weight has been actually taken off of us by Jesus He says, I'm going to do what you can't do for you. And then all I'm going to ask is that you believe and have faith in me that what I did for you is sufficient payment for you. And you trust in that and you trust in that alone. You don't add to it. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It's given to you. It's a free gift, not from works. If there's anything you grasp, especially when we're talking about rejoicing in Jesus, rejoice in the Lord. It is not from works. So in that moment that you feel like you, you didn't get it right, you failed, you sinned, and God's, God is going to be upset with you. He's going to be angry with you. It's not from works. When you realize that you fell short and you didn't get it right, you, you strived to, 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 to do the right religious thing, and God's going to be upset with you. It's not from works. It is not from anything you do or you don't do. It's not giving up certain sins. It's not doing certain religious practices. It's not from works. So that no one can boast. So that no one can brag on themselves. Amen. Why? Because the religious legalist doesn't rejoice in Jesus. They rejoice in their flesh. They glory in their accomplishment. Their boast is in themselves. I was circumcised. I did this. I've done this. I don't sin like that person does. I've accomplished this. The glory is not in the Lord. The glory is in self. And he says, your salvation is not from works because you're not going to be able to boast about it. You're not going to be able to brag about it. And so if you can't brag about it, then you can't feel bad about it because you not lost it when you don't meet the mark. We all didn't meet the mark. We all fell short of the glory of God from the beginning. The law required Jewish males to be circumcised, but Paul tells us Christians are the true circumcision, not from the act of cutting away flesh, but God cutting away the sin that separated us from him. It's a spiritual circumcision of the heart. This is why we boast only in Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh for our salvation or our spiritual growth. Our brag, our boast, our glory, our rejoicing is only in Jesus, not ourselves. So verse 4 and 6 goes on and says, Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So Paul just tells us we don't place our confidence in the flesh, but then he lists all the reason why he's the greatest religious leader of them all. Y'all know the term goat, right? Like Michael Jordan in basketball, he's the goat. If you think he's LeBron, Sorry, you need Jesus. But um, anyway, uh, my, so he's the Michael Jordan of the spiritual uh, leaders, circumcised on the eighth day, Israel national, uh, uh, Israeli national, pure Hebrew, from the greatest tribe of Benjamin. In fact, some believe that he was possibly named after King Saul because King Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know that Paul was also Saul of Tarsus. 
He was the most zealous of all law keepers, a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians and had them in prison. And in the Pharisees and in, the, in this law and in this religion, that was something to brag about. Hey, we kill Christians. We imprison them. Like, you think you're good. I'm even better at it. In fact, when he met Jesus, he was on the road in the process of persecuting the church blameless in the upkeep of the law. We all know Christians like this. You, they'll tell you all about their spiritual accomplishments. They'll tell you how great they are and what they've mastered uh, certain sins and how they've never committed certain sins except for pride. They don't put that in there usually. And when you're with them, they look great and you look small. But interesting, Jesus seems to be missing because, once again, the confidence is in the flesh. The confidence is in the achievements. And so here, Paul, among the religious leaders, among the law, among the Pharisees, among the zealots, he was the greatest. And he had a lot to boast about. But then he says this in verse 7 to 9, But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that. I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul considered all of his religious accomplishments the greatest among all others. His identity, his nationality, and his success that he had worked so hard to achieve, he considered all of that a loss because it could not compare to what Jesus had accomplished, not only in his life, but in his death and in his resurrection. Nothing that Paul ever did could stand in comparison to the wonders and the glory of Christ in his gospel. He considered all things a loss in the view of the reality that he knows Jesus is Lord. Like he could like, have nothing. Everything that was ever known of him could be stripped away and he was okay with that. He would lose it. He would give it up simply by the fact that he knew Jesus. Amen. And when you know his story, for him to know Jesus, it, it was a miracle. It was a miraculous act. The Lord came to him. The, the Lord showed himself to him. The Lord called to him. He was on the road to persecute the church. He was the, the most zealous he, he was the one rounding up women and children and men. He was a spiritual terrorist. And he, he wasn't at a church service. He wasn't at a revival. He was on the road when the Lord appeared to him and saved him. And then through Ananias said, go to him to help him because I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. So in the midst of him living out the very thing that opposed God, God saved him, rescued him, and changed him. And 
in that, that is all that mattered to him from that point on. Everything else was a loss. Nothing else mattered. You write this down. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is our great treasure and reward. Now, I say that, but my prayer is, is that that is true for you. That he is better to you. That he is your treasure and your great reward. Like in all of life, that you can come to the place like Paul to be able to say everything about me. My nationality, my, my successes, everything is a loss in order for me to know Christ. You go, Jesus is better than what? Well, Jesus is better than your career. Jesus is better than your wealth, your success, your stuff, your health, even your family. And I know for some, your family is an idol, your nationality, on and on and on. None of these things are better or more valuable than knowing Jesus. Paul considered everything, he says, as dung. You know what that is, excrement, poop, <laughs> those that have babies, you know, when you change the diaper. You're not holding on to that. Like, you're not framing it. You're not like, hey, hey, honey, look. Look what our baby produced. No. You flush it. You trash it. You get rid of it. It's waste. He says, I consider everything to be that. Everything to be dung. Everything to be waste. Everything to be worthless and trash by comparison of knowing Jesus. And I don't believe we're there. I really don't. I believe we're so distracted. We're so enamored by the things of the world, by the things of this earth, by the comforts and the conveniences that, that we don't consider everything as loss and everything as dung in simply by knowing Jesus. It's always about achieving more. It's always about being better. It's always about having the greatest. It's always about something more than him. And yet Paul had come to a place where he says, I've counted it all as loss. And I desire that for every one of us because he wasn't allowing the temporary things of the world to capture his heart's affections, to limit the depths by which he could truly know Jesus. He said, I'm, I'm considering these things as waste. What if the next time you get that itching to go get the newest phone, the newest vehicle, the upgrade this and the upgrade that, that truly your heart had been moved to the place of, you know, I really don't need that. I'm really content with what God has blessed me with, because if I pursue this, if I invest in this, what won't I be able to invest in? What won't I be able to pursue to know Jesus more? Like, what if God truly brought us to that place to where we go, you know what? That's nice. Looks nice. The moment you get it, you're going to enjoy it for about a day. And then it's be like, okay, it's just another phone. Okay, it's just another vehicle. You've been there, you've done it. It's like the potato chip. You can't just eat one. That's how everything else in life is. So what if God could truly bring us to the point where we saw all of the things of this temporary earth as waste, as dung, as loss? 
by comparison of knowing him. And I just wonder today, what has captured your heart and holds it captive to the place that you can't fully know or love Jesus? What is that thing? Who is that person that so captured your heart's affections that you cannot grow deeper in your love for Jesus? You can't grow deeper in your knowledge of Jesus, knowing him, not just your knowledge of him, but you knowing him, that intimate knowledge of him. See, Paul also considered everything as dung in verse 8 and 9, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I wonder, is the righteousness you hope to obtain of your own doing? Have you come to church today under that mindset that you've got to follow certain religious practices, you've got to achieve certain religious things in order to obtain this righteousness? Is your righteousness one of your own doing? See, because the gospel is a shift from doing to done. Or is your righteousness from God based solely on your faith in Jesus and what he's already done on your behalf. Amen. See, because a righteousness built on yourself and your achievements is worthless. It is the dung. It is the waste. And it'll take you straight to hell. Amen. It'll separate you from God for eternity. I've he I hear it all the time as a pastor. I've, I've heard it my whole life growing up in ministry and doing various different ministry roles. What's your confidence that as you stand before God, that you will be in his presence for eternity in heaven, that you will have eternal life? I, I don't know. I try to be a good person. I, I hope he knows my heart. And we know what the scripture says about our heart. And that's why I've, I've gone through, and I'm not going to do it today, the, the whole math equation about really the sin that separates us from God, and how none of us are good people. We're separated from Him by our evil thoughts and actions. And we often think about the actions and not the thoughts. But the thoughts separate us maybe even more than the actions, because we can discipline ourselves. I mean, I learned how, you know, when I front and center with my dad, six foot two, you know, much larger than me, and he called me, I make eye contact, and I stand before him because it was front and center. That's what he would say, front and center. That means you stand at attention, you look him in the eye, and I'm going to do what he says. But it doesn't mean I'm thinking that I want to do what he says. And so while you might modify your behavior and you might make it look good on the exterior, the motives of the heart and the, 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 what you think on and how you think, Scripture tells us, separates us from God as well. And so is your righteousness built on yourself? Because if it is, it's worthless and it separates you from God. But a righteousness built on Jesus is the most valuable possession that you can have. And it's the only way to the Father. It is the only way to heaven. Here was Paul's goal, and I hope this is ours as well, in verse 10 to 11. 
My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. God's power is for our salvation and sanctification. You can write that down. God's power is for our salvation and sanctification. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Here's the deal. Some of you may have come to church today because you're having problems in your marriage. You're having problems in your home, having problems in your finances. You're, you're struggling in various different areas, maybe your mental health or whatever that might be. And you're coming to church looking for an answer or looking for, you know, the, the specific path that you should take for that specific thing that you're dealing with. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. None of that matters matters outside of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Those things are important, and I'm not telling you they're not, but if you miss that, then you have no answers for your situation to begin with. You have no hope outside of that situation. Paul said his only hope, because he, he considered his relationships as dung. He considered his achievements as dung. He considered his career as dung. So even though you might have problems in those areas, I'm not telling you, I'm not discounting those things. But he says his goal at the end of the day, his greatest achievement and pursuit is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the suffering of, or the fellowship of his suffering. He wanted to know God's power, not just for salvation, but also for his sanctification. And then the final passage here that I have for you is Ephesians 1, 13 through 19. And he also wrote this to the Ephesians. In him, you also were sealed, talking about Jesus. In Jesus, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, uh, uh, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers." I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strengths. I know that's a lot, and, and it's pretty self-explanatory, but I want to break this down real quick as we prepare to close. Number one, he's telling us we're sealed by the Holy Spirit at the moment we receive the truth of the gospel. When, when you came to faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us right there, Paul says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He holds you, he sustains you. Then he's telling us the Spirit's power, which is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, isn't given to us for our own glory or our own showcase. It is given to us, but it's given to us with a purpose. It's given to us to enable us to have wisdom and revelation in order to know the Father. We don't have these within ourselves. So why is the Holy Spirit giving you power? Because he wants to reveal the Father to you. 
He wants you to enable, to enable you to be wise enough to see him and to know him. To, to have that intimate knowledge of him. Because in and of yourself, you don't have that wisdom. In of yourself, you don't have that revelation. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the power, the Spirit's power, enlightens us to the hope of our calling as children of God. This provides confidence in our salvation. So it doesn't matter what you're facing and going through. You can trust that what is to come in the future, that promise of eternity. That's why he says that the momentary suffering of this earth pales in comparison to the glory that is promised to us in heaven. So yes, those are real things you're dealing with. But yet he gives us power to be able to trust and to know, to have confidence that I am saved, that I am held secured, I'm sealed. And there's a promise of an eternity awaiting me. This is the glorious inheritance of the saints he just mentioned. We get to be with God for eternity because you belong in Jesus and you've been adopted by the Father. You have an inheritance and that is to be in his presence for eternity. With the Holy Spirit, we experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power. First in our salvation, being brought from death to life, that is a miracle. That's the supernatural power of God working in us so that we might be saved. But then second, in our sanctification, as the Spirit transforms us to be more like Jesus, he produces his fruit in our life. He gifts us to serve the kingdom, to serve his local church, advance his kingdom. And he frees us from sin, greed, addiction, perversion, rebellion, hate, racism, prejudice, pride, conceit, on and on and on. He empowers us. He transforms us. The same power that saved us through the Spirit is the same power that transforms us and shapes us and sanctifies us to be like Jesus through the Spirit. None of this is possible without God's mighty power working in us. And then the final thing is he wanted to share in the fellowship of Jesus's suffering. He understood suffering isn't punishment or the result of sin, although our sin can lead to suffering. To know the fellowship of Jesus's suffering is the means by which sin is crucified in us, dying to the things of this world. And as that suffering becomes physical, it conforms us to be more like our Savior who suffered and died for us. How can we ever shake our fist at God or question God for having to deal with suffering and loss when he gave his very son, Jesus. And what a great loss. And, that, and then Jesus suffered and died for us. And yet we want the benefits of salvation and we want the hope of eternity. And we want the inheritance of the saints. We want all of the good things but then we act like God's doing us a disservice when we have to face suffering. And Paul said, I want to know the suffering of my Savior. I want to know 
that suffering. I want to share in the fellowship of that suffering. Why? Because it's going to conform me to be like him. I'm going to know what he dealt with. I'm going to know what he suffered through. What? For my eternity. I don't have to be separated from God in hell like the lost will be. I get to enjoy the glories of heaven. And so the momentary suffering on this earth only readies me for that. The only hell that I will ever experience is on this earth. The only pain, the only loss, the only suffering is here and now, and it's temporary. And then there's heaven. And now maybe we understand back in chapter 2 where he says, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. If I suffer, if I experience loss, it is going to be for Jesus because it is for you. And if he takes me, well, good, because I'm going to heaven and there will be no more suffering. But while I'm here, it's going to be Jesus to know him, to live in his power, but to also make him known to others. There is no loss from suffering when it produces Christ's likeness in us, and it allows us to know him more intimately. There is no loss in that. Because Paul said, when I am weak, he is strong. When we've come to the end of ourselves and Christ is all we have, that is the moment when we've hit rock bottom and Christ is all we have. It is in that moment that we realize Christ is all we need. When I am weak, he is strong. So it's never Christ. Well, he, he's not your last resort. He is your only resort. And so there is no loss in that. So today, as we close and prepare to pray, I want us to rejoice in Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He took what was required of you and he did it on your behalf and it is done. And we can rejoice in that. No matter what you're facing today, God is going to use it to make you more like Jesus, if you'll allow him to, because it's intended for you to know him even more, to make it more an intimate knowledge of him. And so let us pray today, giving thanks to God for that gift. Maybe today you've come in and you've been playing the religious game. You, you're under the bondage thinking that you've got to somehow earn your relationship with Jesus. Today, maybe your next step in following Jesus is placing your faith and your trust in him. There's no magic prayer to pray. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. Right where you sit, you can call on the name of the Lord. Place your faith and trust in him. And the Bible says that he will save you. And if you do that, We'd love to know that. We'd love to help you take those next steps by, follow, uh, by filling out a Connect card and letting us know that you're making that decision. Today, that would be the greatest decision you've ever made because it's the greatest possession you can ever possess. But then, for the, for the rest of us, maybe today's just a day of rejoicing as we pray, rejoicing in the union that you have with Christ because of what he did for you. But for others, maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're dealing with loss. Maybe you're dealing with a difficult situation. Maybe today your next step is to pray and to ask God to help you to be okay with that. To, to, to see that as an opportunity to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, to know him more intimate, more deeply. So whatever it is that God's speaking to you from the truth of his word today, 
I encourage you as I pray to have a conversation with him and take those steps. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth. Well, God, we thank you that that which you required of us, you fulfilled for us in Jesus. That what we had to do has now already been done. And so today we rejoice in Jesus. My prayer is, is that no matter what someone is facing in this room, whether it be suffering or loss or some other issue, some other difficulty, that today, no matter their circumstance, they would rejoice in their union with Jesus. They would rejoice because they're hidden in Christ and they are not subjected to your wrath for their sin. But that sin has been forgiven. And now they stand before you holy and blameless without a single fault because of the shed blood of Jesus on their behalf on the cross. I thank you that we have heaven to look forward to the resurrection because Christ raised from the dead. He is not in the grave. And so today, may we rejoice in that. And Father, I pray if there is one here that does not know you, they've been playing the religious game, maybe someone's put a bondage of, of, of religion on them. If they've never placed their faith and trust in Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that your spirit would speak to them. And then, Lord, if there's others that have trusted in you, but they've felt the weight of that religion, they've felt the weight that someone else has put on them, I pray today that they would be freed from that. And they would see that those things now are their acts of worship because Christ is worthy of that worship. So, Lord, whatever it is that we need to do in this moment, may we do that with a rejoicing heart. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.